Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my brother, Christian Lewis. Today, we're talking Oasis, the Gallagher Brothers, and their new documentary, Supersonic, an English-speaking documentary with English subtitles. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, rate and review us on iTunes, and follow us at Twitter and Facebook for more info. Now let's talk Gallagher Brothers. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by my brother Christian Lewis, and we are talking Oasis. Uh, more specifically, we are talking about the Oasis documentary, Supersonic, that we both saw over the weekend. And um, I think uh, it's fair to say that um, it was a pretty good drama, it's a pretty funny comedy, and it's a pretty good rock doc. What do you think? I think that's absolutely right. Um, this, uh, this, I think, was a... a that really covers the rise and particularly with an emphasis, I think, on the early part of, um, of Oasis's sort of upward trajectory. So, you know, you have, um, you have the big sort of lead-in to, uh, to their debut album, um, which, uh, which takes about 30, 45 minutes. And then from there, you know, you sort of see them uh, over the next two years. And then, you know, as they, as they hang it up, I thought pretty abruptly. Um, but, but those are all things that we can dive into in a little more detail. Um, yeah, I certainly, I think... Go ahead. No, I kind of appreciated where they left off because it was it basically took them from their first actually pre uh, band days um, a little bit of their upbringing, but uh, you know sort of their pre you know kicking around band days to uh, them playing the largest concert of their career at Nebworth. And um, to me, uh, you know, I, I I'm a absolute avowed um, rock doc junkie, and you know there will be many more pods on many more. Rock uh, documentaries and books, but um, for you know, for the, in this case, I, I didn't really want to see the rise and fall of Oasis. The rise was fun. Yeah, it certainly looked like it was fun, um, and uh, it looked like that U.S. tour in particular that they did in what what was that ninety? I think it was ninety four, ninety five, ninety five. Yeah. I guess. Um, that seemed like it was probably the most fun and perhaps more fun than they could realistically pack into one uh, one tour of the country, yeah, um, given that somebody quit about three quarters of the way through the band, so or three three quarters of the way through the tour. Oh, um, uh, Noel Gallagher uh, didn't he quit after the first uh, four shows or first two shows or something? Yeah, I think he pissed off to San Francisco where he'd met somebody about two weeks earlier, which yeah, exactly. is a pretty pretty nice uh, pretty nice touch. Plus, there was the sort of. Uh, I thought a pretty amusing, like CSI style anecdote in there, where um, the band manager was trying to figure out where he would have gone. So, uh, so he pulled the fo- you know, she pulled the phone records from the hotel and started going through them and said, "Okay, I recognize these two hundred and forty nine, but I don't recognize the two hundred and fiftieth here. Yeah. Oh, that's a San Francisco number. It's called CSI oh, Manchester. Somebody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that was pretty good, but." Uh, 
No, I, I just liked I like the uh, you know it's, they there's enough turbulence within that band and enough sort of uh, infighting among the brothers and the band members that I didn't really need to see it all fall apart. Also, I just found their particular falling apart so uninteresting. Uh, they put out one shitty, over bloated album. Uh, after they put out their first two really, you know, cool, great, streamlined records, they put out a third one that just reeked of fucking cocaine. And, um, you know, nobody liked it. And, uh, you know, other than the tabloid stuff, it, it wasn't particularly interesting uh, from a band standpoint. So I, I really liked where it where it began and ended. Um, that said, the beginning is pretty remarkable. I mean, they this is a band that got... Uh, signed off uh, their first gig uh, to Creation Records and, you know, was sort of poised for great, you know, big thing, weirdly poised for big things really fast. Take a moment to just reflect there on Creation Records because, I mean, I think that was sort of one of the big awesome points of this from from my perspective was, you know, this really was the definitive, like, uh, indie British label for its time. And, I mean, you know, it, it was really the only place that you could go if you really wanted to be, you know, the huge sort of next uh, inheritor of, of like, a, a, an amazing 80s legacy. So, I mean, well, talk there, about some of the bands that were on there. But there was still 4AD and, and Rough Trade. I think they still existed. So, um, you know, Creation was, was the one that was up and coming, though. Creation was, you know, literally the a one-man show. Uh, I guess as they all were, Jeff Travis at, at um, Rough Trade and... and um, but, you know, Alan McGee, uh, weird Glaswegian redhead from uh, Creation, you know, they had, who they have? They had Primal Scream. They had originally the Jesus and Mary Chain. Uh, who were the other bands that were on Creation? I don't really recall. Um, did they, uh, they had My Bloody Valentine. Oh, there you go. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that was a, a pretty pretty great run. And so, I mean, those guys, but even so, those those were all... A couple years before Oasis had come along, right? Yep, so absolutely. This was really this was the first one that I guess they took completely um, mainstream. Is that right to say, or or you know, yeah, would you I say mean, that Jesus uh, and Mary Train and Primal Scream had hit it as big? Primal Scream was a big was a very big band in England, um, and uh, another Scottish band. I mean, all of, they were both Scottish bands, um, but uh, yeah, Primal Scream was big, and. Um, but nothing like Oasis. I mean, Oasis, again, um, you know, there's all these... Anytime a band gets huge in England, it's, you know, there's some sort of Beatles comparison. It's sort of like, you know, their first four singles went to number one. It's the first time that's happened since the Beatles love me do. Um, but uh, in this case, uh, they were really the biggest thing, I think, uh, in England. I mean, at least uh, What's the Story Morning Glory was probably the biggest phenomenon of an album since of a British album, maybe since. Uh, since Are you going to say the Beatles? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's thriller, but you know, I mean, talking about British acts, it's like you know, there was really nothing um, quite as uniting, and it also, it, you know, and I actually thought that the doc did a, a poor, you know, this is where it kind of fell down a little bit. It didn't give you much context outside of the bubble of the Gallagher brothers, but this was a moment in time in England where the Brits, for the first time in a long time, were feeling really good about themselves. They just elected, uh, and, you know, hindsight be damned, but they had just elected Tony Blair. He was young, he was handsome, um, he was cool, you know. It was Cool Britannia, which was uh, a really embarrassing um, 
title for concept. an era. Yeah, concept <laughs> and title for an era. But it, it really, it was palpable. I mean, they really, for a few minutes. Um, so this was, you think that this was sort of the cultural contribution to the we're back on top uh, mentality for the first time since World War II, basically. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah, it really was. It was, uh, you know, it was the first. It was the first time they stanched the bleeding of of uh, losing <laughs> losing chunks of empire, and uh, you know, kind of thought they were good again. Which I guess is, uh, which is perhaps a subject for another day. But but dovetails nicely with the fact that I spent most of my uh, most of the last few days also also binging on the Crown. So oh, yeah. I'm, so I got both. Uh, I guess and I got you know each each topic in each year. So you certainly got um, both ends of the spectrum. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but the, the Gallagher brothers are curious. Are curious. Thing. But I also, I, I must uh, add that I am I am partial to any English speaking documentary that requires subtitles. Um, yeah, no, that uh, was awesome. It's a partic- I, was, uh, I was texting you, I think, about ten minutes into watching this and saying, "I have no idea what the hell these guys are talking about without reading without reading closed captioning." And I say that as somebody who understands regional accents in that country pretty well. Yeah, well, I, that's my that's my whole point is that I uh, I can pretty much muddle through it, and um, it, it's the only thing that makes me feel multilingual in this world is is listening to you know particularly dense British accents and going, "Oh, I know what they're saying."
Yeah. Now, I mean, I think just to just to sort of build on your point from a moment ago that, yeah, this really, it doesn't provide a ton of context. And I got to say, you know, I've always liked Oasis's first two records a lot. Um, but uh, but in this case, it, well, it's not a band I know the history of really well. And, you know, I sort of, I, I frame them or, or like add them onto this group of bands in, in the sort of Britpop era of, of which I you know, have a few favorites, but, um, I think that that's not something that I've ever, ever really tried to dissect and put on sort of specific timelines or understand in, in more detail than sort of by them just by saying, okay, yeah, uh, you know, Blur and Oasis, same time period, different bands, but similar, you know, similar sound and, and sort of, uh, a retro feel to both, I think, um, that, that as, as we say, you know, Look back onto some of the um, some of the sort of the greater uh, the greater era in, in British rock of the '60s and, and early '70s. Um, but I mean, you know, maybe help paint a picture for me a little bit well, here. Like, what was the timeline? I mean, the timeline, and I won't get it 100 percent correct, but um, you know, the best of my recollection, um, you know, Blur had an album that came out a few years ahead of Oasis, and it was. Um, it didn't sound like a Blur album necessarily. It was called Leisure. Uh, I believe it was called Leisure. Um, uh, but it it's was, Leisure for the Americans who yeah. are listening. Um, but I think it was. I, I think it. You know, it was sort of them finding their sound. They didn't sound. Um, you know, they were kind of going for that uh, tail end of the Madchester kind of dancey. You know, there was a lot of. It was guitars that made you dance kind of sound. A pretty good record, but it didn't really sound like it wasn't def- that definitive, you know, blur, um, you know, suede pulp. Yeah, and suede was a couple years earlier. Um, pulp had been going on since the '70s and doesn't really count until the '90s. But um, you know, contextually, I think Oasis, uh, you know, Oasis wanted to be. Uh, uh, they they didn't sound like it, but they wanted to be Nirvana. They didn't want to be uh, a good British band. They wanted to be the biggest band in the world right from the get go. Uh, I think I had mentioned this anecdotally, but you know, they a friend of mine had uh, was working on a uh, ad account uh, for Volkswagen, and they offered uh, Oasis, who were absolutely unknown in the U.S. at the time, um, a good chunk of money, about a million dollars, for uh, Tonight I'm a Rock and Roll Star to launch uh, the, the new bug, and they were told to go fuck themselves. Um, <laughs> it was, you know, they, they really had this all-or-nothing kind of perspective, and I think, you know, like uh, one of my favorite bands, The Replacements, who will, uh, you know, we're doing a, a pod upcoming about, um, you know, I, I don't think these guys had any prospects whatsoever outside of... Uh, either you know making it big rock superstardom yeah or you know something there uh, i mean they well, were it, not they were not going to fall into a second i mean they weren't going to fall into a second career it wasn't like this or teach right no but i mean it's <laughs> certainly it's, not teach english <laughs> yeah exactly um i mean i i think you know it it helps does it not though to to be you know that that kind of arrogance can wane if you uh if you try something and are not successful at it for um let's say more than a period of six months mm-hmm. and here's where i think you know some of their success and and some of the arrogance um that i that is perhaps you know truly essential to their character and the, and the music that they made um is really a product of the fact that yeah as you say 
they talked to it. It was impossible for a band to play outside of their own city. And then, of course, they met somebody who said, well, yeah, here, you can go to Dublin. Was it Dublin? No, um, it was Glasgow. Glasgow, excuse me. Um, and, and we'll, you know, put on a show and, and my friend at Creation Records will come. And as you say, this is their first concert. These guys didn't experience failure, um, or at least not very much of it. They sort of played in their bedrooms, and then all of a sudden they were playing in front of 80,000 people. Well, um, uh, Noel Gallagher was a roadie for In Spiral Carpet, Carpets at the beginning. And um, the funny thing is, I just remember at the, the first wave of... Uh, Sort of that newish British, you know, stuff—the stuff that was at the tail end of the Manchester scene, you know, which was you know, Stone Roses, uh, Happy Mondays, um, you know, all that great Stone stuff. Roses, Stone Roses, Happy Mondays. Um, uh, God, you know, actually, Suede was kind of at the tail end of that, um, and um, but there was a band in there called In Spiral Carpets that were out of Manchester. Uh, the Charlatans um, were another one, uh, but, uh, but but this is all part of the Manchester scene and, and that label much. as well, right? Yeah, exactly. But okay. there was a band called Inspiral Carpets, is my point. And Inspiral Carpets, um, they had a, a hit, a very very minor hit over here called um, "This Is What It's Like." This is what this is how it feels. I believe it was called. Um, which go back and listen to. We'll put it on uh, the Spotify playlist for this particular pod, but. Holy shit! One of the one of the lamest songs I've ever heard. <laughs> and uh, so Noel Gallagher was a roadie for them. He was pretty happy being a roadie for them. He thought that was kind of uh, where his life was going. And then his brother started a band. He didn't know his brother played music, which he very very sort of loosely can be uh, accused of doing. And um, literally, they started rehearsing. They played one gig. Uh, they were invited to play Glasgow with a woman, with an all-girl band. The One of the women in the band had dated Alan McGee. Alan McGee, in the, in the uh, documentary, claims that he went to see the band just to intimidate her, just to make, <laughs> just to make her feel bad for having dumped him. And uh, he winds up signing Oasis, and the rest is history. So it's a pretty funny story. No, it's it certainly is, um, and and you know whether uh, what's funny throughout though is that it yeah it is it's it's such a clear cut case of of chance and randomness and all of these things, and yet you don't get the feeling from any of these guys that they have an appropriate sense of humility about this no. experience, <laughs> um, and you know I I think that's like the great the great over overarching question here is which of the two brothers is is sort of a bigger asshole to each other um yeah. to the other i should say and and to that point it did have it did produce one of the truly like great lines in a rock doc that i've seen uh, seen recently which was um uh which was that Noel's got a lot of buttons and liam's got a lot of fingers mm-hmm. um which i thought was sort of perfect so yeah it's a, it's a, it would be the it would, that should be the subtitle of the of the documentary it's re- very funny. It, Noel seems to be a very introverted, you know, bedroom, you know, guitar noodler uh, who likes to write songs and uh, pretty, pretty uh, pedestrian lyrics, I might add. Um, yeah. But and then Liam was a showman who liked to, you know, who was a peacock. Yeah. Despite the fact that he did not have the world's greatest voice by a long no. shot, I think so. But he had he had attitude to spare, and that's really what happened. I mean, that was that was the band, and you know, it, it you you get the feeling, you know, there's you know the famous sort of uh, brotherly 
feuds and, and you know, brotherly discord and band the Robinson brothers from Black Crows or uh, the Kinks, of course, the Davies brothers. And um, But these these guys, you, you watch this and there's there's very, very few instances of any warmth whatsoever. Um, there's a few compliments traded back and forth. Uh, there's a lot of barbs traded back and forth. But frankly, they don't seem like they know each other. No, it's true. Um, they, you, it would be much more plausible uh, in my mind if they, if if you told me they hadn't grown up together. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's just a sort of strange coldness about it. Um, and you know, it, it's funny because the the doc opens with a couple of um, a couple of interview segments with you know with their mother who uh, who she steals the really entire s- show by the way. Yes, along with the uh, matching sailor outfits, the <laughs> children's photos that she digs up for the for the purposes of this documentary, which I think alone, you know, is is worth a is worth a watch because I thought, my God, that's embarrassing. I'd be pissed off too. Um, but they were, you know, they were a couple years, uh, a couple years, you know, five uh, years apart. Apart, which I think you know played a pretty big difference, or you know played a, a big role in, in sort of the difference of their experience growing up, but. Honestly, that's not an impossible bridge to uh, to build. You know, they're just massively uh, different people. Yeah, I think we're I think we're a testament to the fact that you can actually build that bridge. But um, yeah, I think but you have to want to. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it really was. Uh, you know, uh, it, they they don't seem like they they barely seem like they know each other. Um, it does sound like a really shitty. I mean, I think this is sort of. Um, this is a sort of uh, truism that that sort of uh, surfaces time and time again. I mean, there was a shitty upbringing in a, you know, in, in the, you know, with the the council housing, the British equivalent of of the projects, and you know, they had a father who was abusive, who pissed, you know, who left relatively early, and there's a lot of uh, fallout from that. So, um, you know, everybody deals with it in different ways, and and um, I think there are two very very different ways of dealing with it, uh, the Liam way and the Noel way, and they really just became extraordinarily different people. It's worth, you know, I, I think it's very worth seeing. I liked it a lot. Um, and also, just uh, the meteoric rise to fame is fun to watch for me. I think that's that's definitely right, and that's uh, I would come down. So I'd say the same thing. If you if you aren't uh, if you aren't too familiar with the with the sort of Oasis story, um, you know, I think you might get more out of the doc, and you might enjoy it a little more if you uh, if you brushed up on on just some of the context beforehand. But otherwise, I I would agree. I think it's a I think it's a very good doc and a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and I would say uh, just slightly more um, subtitles than Narcos. Yeah, so, exactly. There you go. Anyway, um, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and check us out on all of the various social media platforms that we exist on. Um, Facebook, and- Twitter, Instagram, um, and we look forward to hearing from you and uh, hearing your thoughts on the doc, too. Thanks. That's it for today's episode of the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and drop us a line at brotherpod.com. Thanks very much to Damian Kendall for producing, and from Wyndham, Jeremy, and Christian, see you next time.